Yesterday was the 11th of November and many of us will have taken the opportunity not just at 11 o'clock but throughout the day to bring to recollection, to celebrate and give thanks for those who have given their lives, sacrificed themselves for our freedoms, for our benefit. The 11th of November, Remembrance Day, is an occasion in the Western world particularly to stop and to remember both the horrors of war and the sacrifices that have been made. It's not just for those who took part in it, but for generations who have come afterwards. Remembering for many in our society, in our community, is a really important part of their annual life. But remembering isn't anything new. This week, as I was reading through the Bible in my own quiet times, I started the new book of Joshua. And I came across the stories of the Israelites crossing over the Jordan on dry land and the setting up of some stones to help them remember. Remember, the book of Joshua is about the end of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. The Israelites having been rescued by God out of Egypt, rebelling against God in the wilderness, now ready to cross into that promised land. And to do that, God had prepared something pretty special for them to show, to demonstrate that it was him, not them, who was making this a reality. He'd instructed them to take the Ark of the Covenant with the law, the priests to carry that into the water, to wait for the waters of the River of Jordan to stop flowing, for the people all to cross over, and when everyone was safe on the other side, for the priests to carry the Ark across with them, and at that point the water would begin to flow freely once more. Not sort of taking the chance, the opportunity that presents itself, like we sometimes do, um, at the changeover of traffic lights. There's a gap in the traffic, we'll dart across. No, something deliberate, something controlled, like the green man coming on, so that everybody knows you're crossing at this point because the lights say so. Such was what was happening at the start of Joshua, crossing over, not just at an opportune time, but under the direction and with the aid of the Lord God Almighty. And then in chapter 4, we read this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, to carry them over with you and to put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone up on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You can tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones will be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did just as Joshua commanded them. They took the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. 
and they are there even to this day. Doesn't that strike you as being so very similar to what we do in our time? How we set up literally stones, monuments often, to help us remember. And not just those of us who are there, but to pass on those memories to successive generations. So that what has happened would not be forgotten. We put up these stones, we tell our children, we pass it on, we remember. But we do it in lots of different ways, don't we? We do it specifically on Remembrance Sunday. Poppies, a moment's silence, uh, gathering together around stones and monuments and mementos. But we also do it seasonally too. That there are things that we have in our regular comings and goings that help us remember. You know, in Amherst, we have those gates on the entranceway to the park that it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. If somebody wanders through there, they will be confronted with all those who gave their lives from this area in the First and the Second World War. But also yesterday and today, Remembrance Sunday as it is, people will be gathering especially to remember. We set up these physical monuments, but we also have these things happening in time. And that's essentially what's going on here. You carry on at the end of the chapter, this is what we read. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern borders of the Jericho. Joshua set up at Gilgal these twelve stones that were taken out of the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them. Tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord God dried up the Jordan before you until everyone had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I love you as he's explaining how these stones are going to act as a remembrance for this one event. He links it and ties it back to the last great passing through water. At the, at the start of the Exodus, when the people went through the Red Sea in very similar circumstances. And in those stories, we have this idea, not just of a physical reminder, but a seasonal reminder. A reminder, not just in space, but in time. Because that first Exodus through the waters of the Red Sea is to be remembered by the Israelites through the annual celebration of the Passover. That when the right time of the month comes at the right point in the year, the people are supposed to stop what they're doing and celebrate. Stop what they're doing and remember themselves. Stop what they're doing and share with their children and those who are dwelling amongst them exactly what it is that God had done to rescue them from slavery in Egypt. You might ask the question, why is it that we have these gates of memorial? Why is it that we have this hall in Llandabir of memorial or these um, uh, towers, these stones set up? Why was it that they were um, setting up the stones here in Joshua? Well, it's twofold, to remind themselves and to inform others to remind themselves and to inform others of this wonderful truth that God is a God who gets involved for our benefit. These aren't just random miracles. These aren't just God showing off. These are a way that the people can experience God's 
kindness, God's grace, God's power on their behalf so that they benefit from it. And so the reminders aren't just reminders of events in particular, but they're reminders of God getting involved for the people's benefit. Just like the gates aren't reminders just that these wars happen, but reminders of the horror of war and the sacrifices that have been made and will need to be made if future wars are waged. They're reminders that God is a God who steps in for our benefit. I love that uh, these things are instituted at various points. That it's God who knows people so well. Knows people so well that says, you've seen it, but you'll forget it. And those who will come who haven't experienced it, they need to know. And right throughout the scriptures, this habit of stopping and physically marking or temporally marking in the calendar, the goodness of God to remind ourselves and to inform others is there time and time again. Like you cannot open the book of Psalms, the song book, the hymn book of God's people without finding Psalm after Psalm after Psalm that reminds people, points people back to these great events crossing over into the land, coming out of Egypt, the whole Exodus story of God being a God who intervenes. Another example is there in the story of Esther. Don't know whether you know the story of Esther. It's, it's during this time of exile when the people who are having rebelled so often and so uh, egregiously against God have been removed from the land, been carried off into Babylon as a judgment on their rebellion and their sin. There's a plot, there's a plot um, that is uh, concocted in order to wipe out the Israelites. But through Esther, through the people's prayer and uh, fasting to God, God intervenes. God saves them, God rescues them. And a new celebration is instituted. Not a, not a pile of stones off in Babylon, but a day, a marker in time of God's goodness and faithfulness and continued intervention, that God being a God who steps in for the benefit of his people. It's there at almost every, every moment, if you like, this idea that when we see God's goodness, when we see God's activity, something needs to be done to make sure that we do not forget and that we do not keep it to ourselves. He did this, it says, verse 24, chapter 4, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Because we need to be reminded and we need to inform others. And of course, today, we can think of one more example of remembrance. Not mere remembrance, but at least remembrance that we have with the Lord's Supper with communion. If I could just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is addressing issues of the use and the abuse of communion, he reminds them at the centre of that passage what's going on in the communion. He says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and when you drink this cup, you proclaim, says Paul, the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is this physical and temporal marker. It's, a, it's in space and it's in time to make sure that we don't go too long without bringing to mind, bringing to recollection and declaring to anyone who's around exactly what it is that God has done. Stepping in for our benefit. That Jesus came, the eternal son, and took on flesh. This is my body. Jesus said it was broken for you. That he died. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. That it's this remembrance, this celebration, this proclamation of all the good news that is found in Jesus. That God isn't the sort of God that stays at a distance, who sees our suffering, who sees our problems, who sees our world falling apart and goes, well, I had told them not to do that and there we are, I'm going to leave them in their mess. But God is a God who hears. God is a God who sees. God is a God who intervenes. The story of the Exodus begins with God hearing the cry of the Israelite people oppressed in Egypt. And he steps in. He intervenes. The start of the book of Joshua is of a God who is not satisfied leaving his people wandering in the wilderness. Where, by the way, they had everything they needed. They never went hungry, they never went thirsty, their claws and their shoes they didn't wear out. There was manna, there was quail, there was water from rocks. God was a God who was always providing, but God intervening for their benefit. The story, the, the, the celebration of what happened in Esther's day, and here particularly for us, the coming, the living, the dying, the rising again of Jesus, that God is a God who sees, who hears and intervenes, who draws near, who pays the price, who is the active agent so that you and I who need it can have it. Those of us who are guilty can find forgiveness. Those of us who are far off can find a way back. Those of us who are strangers can be adopted in. Those of us who are broken and frail and bent on things which are evil can begin to be made whole and restored and good again because Jesus has come and Jesus has done what is necessary. And so we have this reminder in Scripture, in the communion, in the Lord's Supper, that we're supposed to be this people who physically and uh, with our time, remember and proclaim what God has done. So let me just ask you a question now to finish this morning. A question um, which is both literal and metaphorical, I suppose, when we think about having these reminders physically in space and temporally in our calendars. But what are the stones that are there in your life? What are the things that you have put in that God perhaps has instructed or um, 
common sense has given you to help you be someone who both remembers God's goodness and his kindness and his grace to us and someone who proclaims and declares the goodness of God. Do you have things in your life? We do, as a church, have communion reasonably regularly together, not every week, not every two weeks, but never a month goes by when we don't set aside time and space and attention to do that very thing that we're instructed to do. But what else? What else is there in your life or in our life that there has been given to us so that we can remember God who intervenes, God who steps in for us? I think maybe we should ask that question in several different stratas. What are the things that we do day by day by day? What are the daily reminders that we have in our life of God's goodness? What are the weekly reminders that we have in our life? And what are the seasonal reminders that we have in our life? Are there things that you do daily to make sure that each and every day you are not wandering away from the gospel of truth, but are drawing closer in and enjoying it for yourself? That you are being filled up with God's grace in order to speak that grace into the lives of those that God puts you amongst? For some, it will simply be reading God's word, setting aside time, usually at the beginning of the day, to open our Bibles, to read a chapter or two, to see something of his kindness and say, ah, this is the God who steps in. This is the God who holds up. This is the God who provides. For some people, it's something as simple as that. For others, it might be, could be for you, a prayer that you pray regularly every day. Some of us might bristle at the thought of praying the same thing each and every day, but it's a practice that serves people ever so well in reminding themselves truly of the goodness, the closeness, the love, the kindness of our God? Is there a prayer that you pray each day where that helps you to remember just how near and just how powerful God is? Perhaps it's a creed. Perhaps it's reciting something like the Apostles' Creed. These things are true, that there is one God, that there is one Father and Son and Spirit, that Christ has come in the flesh, that he has suffered and died, that he has risen to life again, that there is forgiveness of sin through him, that the Spirit has been sent to dwell in his people in the church and that Christ will come again to make all things new. Don't try to tell me that it wouldn't be a bad thing for you to recite something like the Apostles' Creed, to be reminded of that at the start of each and every day, to be certain of that format, to be certain of those things that when the opportunity comes to not just remember it yourself, but to declare it to others, that it's there, that it's not just known, but it's known in you, that it's easy to come out. What are the things that we're doing? What are the stones in our lives daily so that Christ is ever before us? What are the things that you do weekly? Again, having regular rhythms, having regular routines is something that is quite easy to pour scorn on, to pour cold water on. 
But as a church, there are things that we do deliberately week in, week out, so that time does not get away from us, that we are have before us this truth that God is a God who steps in for our benefit. Do you make a priority of church? I know that I'm preaching online to folks and some of you can't make it out for whatever reason. Perhaps you're someone who would love to be in church this morning, but circumstances, sickness, um, situation has got you so that you can't. It's our pleasure to serve you. But church attendance is an opportunity for all God's people to come together and to say, do you know what? All that I've been remembering this week for me is true for us. You know, in the midst of First Corinthians, when Paul is instructing them about how to have communion, part of the problem there is this individualism or this selfishness that has crept into the church. Paul's instructions on the matter, as he reminds them how this is a, a remembrance of what Jesus has done, his instructions are about the whole body enjoying it together. There's something wonderful about the gospel that it's not just beneficial for you and for me, separately and apart but it's beneficial for us and God is crafting for himself a new people is church something that you do regularly or is it something that you besmirch and just you know if I can be bothered or if I have the time or once a month do you know like to satiate some sort of sense of guilt that I've got from going there it's for you it's for us to regularly have these stones in our calendars so that we can't get too far away. We do other things regularly in the life of the church so that the truth of the gospel is ever before us and is ever before the people that we're trying to reach. We have ministries like Coffee, Cake and Company, Hangouts. We have those monthly meetings of Torch so that opportunities are there. Not always waiting, always praying, Lord God, give me an opportunity, that we're crafting these opportunities to remind ourselves and to declare him to others. What are the stones that you have weekly in your life? As people, we, we flourish when we have routine and rhythms in our lives. What are the stones that you have? And what about seasonally? Because we're not just people of each day, we're not just people of each week, but we're a people who live in a world that God has ordained that has its seasons. We're in the midst of the darkening of the days, of the uh, um, coldening of the air. You know the feasts that are celebrated in our culture, uh, that have been handed on to us from church history, they're not random, they're not obscure, they're not abstract. They're things that have been introduced to help folks like you and me to remember. And not just for us to remember, but for us to share. They're opportunities for the God who comes in, involves himself for our benefit to be ever before us. I wonder how you've treated Halloween that's just gone by. Now, I know that there's a lot of ups and downs about Halloween. I know that people dislike children eating sweets. I know that some of us can become a little bit obsessed with this idea that it's a, a worship of uh, evil things. But 
Honestly, Halloween is an opportunity for you and for me to celebrate the victory of light over darkness. Because no matter how dark it gets on All Hallows' Eve, no matter how people decorate their homes with cobwebs and spiders and pumpkins that have been carved in all sorts of horrible ways, on November the 1st, the sun still rises and they get swept away and put in a box in the cupboard. Because Christ has crushed, Christ has defeated all of our enemies. And we don't need to live in fear. That's a, a seasonal thing handed on to us from the church historic so that we might remember the victory of Jesus, the rule and the reign of him who sits on high in heaven. What about Christmas time? Do we use that as a, as a means to, to be with people, to eat, to drink, to be merry? Or is it a time of reflection of how wonderful it is that Christ came and how desperately we need Christ to come again. Advent isn't just about popping chocolates from 1 to 24 out of a calendar. Advent is a time for us to call to mind the promises of God, fulfilled in Jesus' incarnation, but promises of God yet to be filled. And to have our spirit stirred to desire Christ's return sooner rather than later. Do we use that seasonal opportunity? What about Easter? Passed on to us from the church historic every year to remember, to celebrate, to speak about the death of Jesus in our place and his rising to life again victorious. Are these things that you just think are silly things? Or things that maybe you've been convinced are, are just Christian adoption of pagan ideas. They're absolutely not. These are things which Christians, thoughtful, considerate Christians have through the last couple of millennia come to see are important things each and every year to remember, to celebrate, to declare to the world that God has placed us amongst. So let me ask the question again. What are the stones in your life? What are the daily reminders? What are the daily opportunities to remind and instruct others? What are the weekly? What are the seasonal things? We should be a people of rhythm. We should be a people of routine. We should be a people of remembrance. Because as put in Joshua 4, we might know. The hand of the Lord is powerful, the whole earth, and that those who fear him might always fear the Lord our God. My hope and my prayer would be that we are a people who remember, who declare that Jesus has done it all.